Well, we just heard how Manasseh was a bad dude, a wicked ruler. In fact, so wicked he's mentioned at least three separate times in the Old Testament for how bad of a king he was. I'm going to remind you of something you just heard. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh's wickedness and sin were the tipping point in the history of Judah. If you've been walking this Lenten journey with us, you've heard on these Wednesday nights, or maybe you've caught up on the podcasts or on YouTube, Judah had good kings and lots of bad kings, and even the good kings ended up not being so good all the time. The nation was continually provoking God's wrath with little bits of good times sprinkled in here and there. Now, God had promised that he would expel his people from the promised land if they didn't walk according to all that he had commanded them. And while all people have sin in their hearts that leads them away from God, Manasseh actually encouraged that by his leadership. He didn't work against that. He spurred people on in their wickedness. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. The people who were living in the promised land before God brought them in after the Exodus were awful. Horrible nations. It wasn't just that they happened to be doing their own thing and everything was fine and they were decent enough, but God just decided that they were all going to be totally wiped out. No, they were evil and wicked, and God's judgment against them was their destruction by the hands of his chosen people, the nation of Israel, led by Joshua. But now here, after centuries of living in the land, they are worse than the nations that God drove out before them to make room for them to live there in the first place. Manasseh personally had broken all kinds of God's statutes. And if you want later, you can look these up in Leviticus 19 and 20. Things like anyone who consults a medium or a necromancer, right? Somebody who calls a spirit back from the dead, that person must be put to death. Anyone who sacrifices their own children in the fire, worshiping Molech, that person must be put to death. And anyone who knows about it and doesn't put that person to death, they have to be put to death too. God was not playing around with this stuff. And here the king of Judah is the exemplar of all of that horrible behavior. Israel was told explicitly not to live as the people in the promised land were living. Here's Leviticus 20. Verses 22 and 23, you must keep all my decrees and regulations by putting them into practice. Otherwise, the land to which I am bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. Do not live according to the customs of the people I am driving out before you. It is because they do these shameful things that I detest them. And from the Leviticus 20, 
You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. And Manasseh's rejection of that and his leadership for the entire nation to do the same ultimately resulted in the in the people's rejection and destruction as God's perfect justice required. From 2 Kings 21, starting at verse 11, King Manasseh of Judah had done many to, uh, detestable things. He is even more wicked than the Amorites who lived in this land before Israel. He has caused the people of Judah to sin with his idols. So this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of those who hear about it will tingle with horror. I will judge Jerusalem by the same standard I used for Samaria and the same measure I used for the family of Ahab. I will wipe away the people of Jerusalem as one wipes a dish and turns it upside down. Then I will reject even the remnant of my own people who are left, and I will hand them over as plunder for their enemies, for they have done great evil in my sight and have angered me ever since their ancestors came out of Egypt. And you know God feels the same way about your sin and about my sin. And we're gonna, you'll see in a second why we're spending so much time talking about Manasseh. See, Manasseh was known for the shedding of innocent blood. Again, from 2 Kings chapter 21, Manasseh also, as if it weren't enough already, he murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. So why on earth is Manasseh the worst of the bad kings? Why is this king our lens? Why is this guy the last one that we're going to use to try to see our Lord Jesus and his love for us? Where is Jesus in any of this? The innocent blood that Manasseh wickedly shed in Jerusalem cried out to God demanding justice. And I'll tell you this, the innocent blood of Jesus shed in Jerusalem also cried out to God making a demand of God's justice. Jesus' blood cries out, it's finished. Their sins are forgiven. Justice is done. Colossians 2.14 says this, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Hebrews 9.25 and 26 says this, He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. Can you imagine that? But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And from John 19, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, 
It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, we call this day Good Friday because in the same way that because of Manasseh, every ear that heard of God's plan for his people would tingle with horror when they heard of God's plans. Now so, because of Jesus, every ear that hears of the gospel tingles with joy, not with horror, with joy and wonder at what God has done. Manasseh's wickedness and cruelty was the hinge point in Judah's history. For centuries, God had made it crystal clear what the consequences for disobedience and rebellion would ultimately be. You can read about those in Deuteronomy. It gets pretty nasty. It's a very dire picture that God paints for the people. In Manasseh, these consequences were finally seen, but it's just the opposite with our Lord Jesus, is it not? For many hundreds of years, God had promised redemption through the Messiah. In Jesus, all God's promises to bless his people, to love his people, to redeem his people, they've come true on this day when God died. Jesus' love and kindness to you are the hinge point in your history. And not just your history, but the history of the world. Just like God had said to the people before they went into the promised land, what the consequences would be in the future. Before Jesus ever was born, hundreds of years before, the prophet Jeremiah said this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Because the Lord loves you, he sent his Son to bear your sin on the cross. The Apostle John says this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is love. I want you to close your eyes for a minute as we close here. And try to picture the cross as clearly as you can with your Lord hanging on it. And I'm going to speak to you some familiar words. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. 
Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? That's why this day is good. You can open your eyes. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. Amen.